The rest of us are going to open our, our copy of God's life-giving word to the gospel of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 19 this morning uh, looking at, uh, studying, reading uh, together verses uh, 3 through 6. So that's uh, Matthew 19 verses uh, 3 through 6 uh, this morning. And uh, today we end our Today series um, on the topic of sexuality. So uh, the past few weeks, we have looked at uh, some different cultural, just hot topics in our day uh, that our prayer is, God, help us to think like you would think. Uh, Jesus, what have you said about these topics? And how would you, not just what, what, what have, has he taught and what should we believe, but equally important, uh, how should we live in light of what he has said? And how should we interact with friends who may or may not uh, agree with us? And so uh, that has been the goal uh, on those previous topics. And it has been, it is our top, uh, our goal again today with, with this topic. Uh, and so what, what I want to do at the outset is just be, just be absolutely transparent with you today. Um, I am not completely comfortable uh, sharing a message that's just 100% devoted to sexuality. And that is not because I fail to hold humble convictions about sexuality and what the Bible says about it. Uh, but the reason I, I'm a, a bit uncomfortable is I just harbor some fears in my heart. And, and maybe you have these same kind of fears as you think about uh, this topic. Um, number one, I feared that, that I'll be misunderstood, you know, that people could uh, mishear something, that they could uh, mistranslate something, and, uh, and, not, and we would walk away not on the same page, or at least not being heard clearly. Uh, number two, I, I fear of hurting, I have a fear of hurting someone's feelings. So, um, man, that's, you know, that's tough. That's never the goal, right? We, 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 uh, you know, Jesus, I think, is a relevant statement. He said, I didn't, come, I, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. You know, in other words, like Jesus didn't show up uh, to tell everyone how bad they were, although Jesus clearly uh, spoke out about our wrongs, right? Uh, but Jesus came to offer a message of hope and to bring healing to us no matter what area we need healing in our lives. And so that's, that's a fear this, this morning. And then finally, a third fear would, would simply be, and I think this is really important to hear, especially if you're new, especially if you're new to Redemption Hill, you don't know me, you're not familiar with our church. Um, I really have a, a fear of this context. And what I mean by that is I would much prefer to have a conversation with you about sexuality uh, over a cup of coffee in my home or at Mystic Coffee down the street, you know what I'm saying? I have had these conversations multiple times, right? Many times. Uh, rather than this, this context, um, because I would, you know, much rather sit across from you and look into your eye and have these, 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 this discussion because perhaps we would feel one another's heart in a different way. And so I have some fears this morning as we delve into this topic, and, and I hope, I hope that uh, I'm not anticipating 100% uh, affirmation and agreement with everything I say today, all right? I'm just not expecting that, and, uh, you know, I'd probably be naive if that happens 
any and every Sunday, all right? This is not the case, all right? We, we have, man, uh, you know, disagreements as family, right? We're family, and, and we can have disagreements. Uh, but I hope, and, and this has been one of those just prayer this week, and, and I know many of you have like, hey, Tanner, this is a sensitive topic. I'm praying for you this week. I really appreciate it. And I feel your prayers. Um, but because as I've prayed this week, I've prayed that, um, you know, at minimum, even if, even if you sit there and you disagree with 90% of what I say, that you would at least say, you know what, I appreciate uh, this guy's humility, his love, and his guts. And, you know, guts is an old word for courage. And uh, we need a little more of all three these days, right? Humility, love, and courage. And that includes, I need more of all three of those. So uh, why is sexuality such a sensitive topic? Um, it's not just because there are widely divergent views on this topic, but it's because this topic is deeply personal, deeply personal. Some of you today, and, I, and honestly, I hope it's the case. <laughs> I hope it's the case. At one level, I hope it's the case as we'll get to at the end of the sermon, because all people are welcome in our church. That's why I hope it's the case. Um, uh, some of you may say, you know what, Tanner, I, I, I really would identify myself as homosexual, as gay or lesbian. And if you're not in that camp, clearly many are not in that camp today, but if you're not in that camp, perhaps you would say, well, Tanner, I, I wouldn't... Can, I wouldn't identify with that lifestyle, but you know what? I struggle with what is known as, we'll talk about it in a bit, same-sex attraction. In other words, I wouldn't, I wouldn't I, I identify my life around uh, that identity, but, but you know, I, I struggle with desires for people of the same sex. And, and, and with that, you may struggle in such a way that, that you have really joy over that reality, or you may have shame over that reality. It's a deeply personal issue that we need to think about critically. And then there's no doubt, right? There is no doubt. Why is this a deeply personal issue? Is because we all, okay, we all and if it's not all, then there's something wrong with us. You know, don't just, hey, truth and love, here we go. Um, we all have friends who would identify in one of those camps, or at least acquaintances, right? At least neighbors, coworkers here in greater Boston that would fall into one of those designations. And so this is a deeply personal conversation to have here today. And so as we think about this question, are other sexual relationships outside of monogamous, heterosexual, marital relationships acceptable by God? There are at least three kind of primary positions, okay? Um, yes, they are acceptable. No, they are not acceptable. Or maybe you're here today and it's like, you know what, Tanner? I am not sure what I think about it, or I'm not even sure what I know what Jesus has said about all of this, right? Yes, no, unsure, Convinced, contested, mm, not certain. And so again, again, our goal, my goal today is to examine the words of Jesus, to seek to represent them as faithfully as I can, and to do so in the absolute most loving manner possible. Okay, so, so here we go, Matthew chapter 19, if you're using one of the Bibles we provide, 
It's page 824 of those Bibles. And uh, as Jesus often uh, experienced in his uh, life and ministry, um, he had a lot of naysayers, you know what I'm saying? Like, if anyone disagrees with me this morning, man, people disagree with Jesus all the time. And, um, and, And oftentimes, to our surprise, it was actually a group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees. Uh, They came to Jesus, and they asked him a question. I'll go ahead and spill the beans here. Um, They asked him a question not to get his wisdom, but to trip him up and test him, hoping that they could take him down. Okay, that's what's going on here in Matthew chapter 19. So this is what it says. And Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Okay, so just, just hear me out, okay? This is such a load of, I know, you know, I don't have time to explain the historical context and the different Jewish schools and religious schools of thought on this, all right? But this was just a question, take my word for it, that by asking this question, any way that Jesus answered this question, he was sure to offend someone. And so Jesus... <laughs> Uh, just wisely doesn't directly answer their question. I love how he does this. No one had more wisdom than Jesus, all right? No matter if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today, I would just say, hey, you at least have to respect this man who he believed was a God man for how wise he was and how amazing of a teacher he was because this is what he then goes on to say. Have you not read? (laughs) Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so what Jesus does here is that he uses a rabbinic method of disputation that goes something like this, the more original, the weightier, okay? So like if I can bring it back to a time that is more original and dates back further than your little piece of the conversation, then I'm going to probably win the argument. And that's what's going on here. You can't get more original than the origin of man, which is what is captured for us in Genesis chapter one. And so Jesus what he does is he quotes the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, in verse four, and he says, hey, have you not read? Don't you know that God created the male and female in the very beginning? And so let me just say a couple of things here. Uh, Number one, we need to understand that Jesus saw the 39 books of the Old Testament as completely authoritative, inspired by God, and without error. Okay, this is just his Jesus. You wanna know what Jesus thought about the Bible and could we trust it? Jesus is saying, hey, you can absolutely trust every word. And of course, we as Christians believe that's true for not just the 39 books of the Old Testament, but the 27 books of the New Testament as well, all 66, every word inspired and without error from God. Okay, so that's why we bank our lives on this book. But beyond that, okay, and and let me just hold on. Why is that so important? 
Why, why is that so important for this conversation and every conversation, okay, is that we all have, whether we even can see it or not, we all have a, feel, a filter, okay, a source of authority that helps us discern and determine how we see things in the world and then consequently how we should live our lives day to day, all right? And so uh, there was a man named John Wesley. Uh, he was a really uh, intelligent uh, creature, uh, human being, and uh, he was the founder of the Methodist movie. Ever heard of a Methodist church? He founded that. Um, pretty, pretty big deal. And uh, he, he came up with a, a source of authority, uh, kind of a table known as the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, okay, which says, I know that's a fancy word, but just check with me here. He says, we have four sources of authority, okay? Scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. And what happens is, on any given topic, we will determine our source of authority. Like, is there a, for us, Scripture, the Bible, um, what God has said to us for a Christian, okay, you can go look at our statement of faith as a church. Like, this is number one because we believe God has really spoken to us in the Bible. And so the Bible is our number one source of authority. So let me just kind of get to the chase. Um, so if my experience or if my reason or even if my tradition, my church, okay, um, contradicts what the Bible says, then I am siding with the Bible, okay? I'm just going to side with the Bible because um, if God said it, he probably knows a little bit more than me about the topic, all right? Um, so, so, so do you understand that? Do you get that? Okay, so, so why is this important? Well, it's important because um, in the words of Rosaria Butterfield, she was a lesbian professor at Syracuse University and a gay activist and a person who absolutely despised Christians until she became one herself. Yes, that happens, by the way. And so what, what, what she says in her book, Openness Unhindered, which is the follow-up to her autobiography called Un Unlikely Thoughts of a Secret Convert, um, or The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely, yeah, that's it, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Thank you, Tanner. Um, this is what she says in the follow-up book, yeah. Secret convert, that's bad, okay? Um, all right, here we go, here we go. Um, all right, don't miss this. If God, if God is the creator of all things, and if the Bible has his seal of truth and power, then the Bible has the right to interrogate my life and my culture and not the other way around. So Jesus quotes the Bible, and he begins by saying, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So in other words, Jesus is saying, in the very beginning, when God made man, all right, we could have some fun conversations about that, right, <laughs> in our day, another sermon. All right, when God made man, he made them male and female. He made Adam and Eve, okay, and he made them to relate together. So as, as Chrysostom, a fourth century pastor, uh, would say, hey, God could have done it any way he wanted. If he wanted to make four sexes and not two, he could have done it. If he wanted to provide a framework for intimate relationship between 10 people and not two people, okay, God had every right to do that. But that's not what we see here in, in Genesis chapter 1. And, and as an aside, as an aside here, um, God in his wisdom designated humanity as male and female. 
So listen, I wish I had time. I don't have time. It's maybe another sermon for another day or a cup of coffee. Um, and I'm learning, still learning, right, in our culture, learning how to think about this and talk about this. Um, but when it comes to gender dysphoria or transgenderism, uh, we need to also think biblically about this. And we need to think biblically and with a biblical posture, which is love, about this. And so if you just want a quick kind of primer, uh, some church leaders just released this past month a statement. It's called the Nashville Statement. Just Google it and you'll find it. Uh, 14 articles, very concise, that lay out a, uh, just a, a clear, I think, very fair and uh, reasonable uh, treatment of, of biblical sexuality and, and gender. Okay, so uh, go find that, read it, and feel free to call a pastor with some conversation and questions, all right? Um, so so that's, that's what Jesus says here in, in verse 4, providing this foundational statement from Genesis chapter 1, okay? But then he goes on and he says in, chap, uh, in verse 5, quoting chapter 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, so now, here we have God's design for what we call and know as marriage, okay? These are strong and de decisive verbs, okay? Leaving, okay, like leaving behind this family unit to cleave, uh, the old uh, English versions would say cleave to or hold fast to, be cemented together to his wife. And, and the implications, I mean, we need to hear this, okay? This, this sermon is not on marriage, but there are some marriages that need to hear this today. I need to hear this today, okay? That the essence of marriage is oneness, okay? Being one. So now we are one physically, okay? We share the same house and the same bank account and the same food, all right? And we are one emotionally, right? Like Marsha and I were having some conversations. She'd been thinking about some things that I don't know she was thinking about. I need to enter into that, right? Because we are one emotionally. We are one as, as, as God gives us grace, we are one spiritually, right? Like on the same page, locked in, encouraging one another spiritually. And we are one sexually, okay? So clearly what's going on here, one flesh, all right? That has sexual implications. And to that we say, come on, Lord, thank you, hallelujah, all right? Because, because, thank you very much. And now come on, priest, all right? Because, because sex is a gift, <laughs> Sex is a gift, and it's a good gift from God, and it's given for more than just procreation, by the way. Um, it's given for a lot of other reasons. Pleasure, but not just pleasure. The, the expression of a covenant commitment. Tim Keller says that every time a, a husband and wife come together in the, those moments of intimacy, it's a renewal of their covenant to one another. Mm, think about that. Wow. And... And this, two becoming one. Paul would say in Ephesians 5, quoting Jesus in Genesis, these verses, and he would say, hey, this is a mystery. Like, how did two people become one? That's a mystery, right? A total mystery. And it, to, to be essentially one in the sight of God, that intimate, all right? And Paul's saying it's a mystery because it reflects what? Christ and his church, God and his people. Can you believe that God wants to have that kind of intimacy with you? If you are a child of God, let your mind be blown, all right? Let your mind be blown. God wants to be that intimate with you. What? 
Thank you. That is good news. That is amazing news. That should make us all say, I know this is a heavy topic today, but you can still say, all right, nice, like, mm, yes, mm, thank you, mm, amen, whatever, whatever floats your boat, even if you're just saying it in your heart, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's cool. You know, you can put a smile, you feel like, boom, that's good. All right, so wow, God, you were that amazing. But what happens? <laughs> What happens? We, like one of my friends used to say, um, God makes beautiful things and then we put our grubby little paws on them. (laughs) So Genesis 1 gives way to Genesis 2, which gives way to Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, we see sin enter our world and Adam and Eve turning away from God's good instruction for them and Not only sin enters our world, but brokenness enters our world. And so now all of who we are in our constitution, mind, soul, desires, loves, okay? Everything about us is now tainted by sin and it is broken at a fundamental level. And that includes, yes, our sexuality. That's Genesis 3. That's why Jesus is even answering questions about divorce. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't have happened apart from sin and the fall. Which, by the way, let me just go ahead and say this, all right? Divorce, and as far as we're concerned as pastors, every time we have the privilege of doing premarital counseling, we say divorce is not in our vocabulary. We don't use the D word. We don't use the D word as a weapon to get our way. We don't use the D word as a threat. And even when we sin against one another in egregious ways, we are trying to say, hey, our disposition is forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Because why? Because of verse six, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so the fall, the fall brings all of this, which I would... um, just, just ask the question, okay, let's be real today. All right, let's be real today. Um, raise your hand if you've never had an impure sexual thought. Raise your hand. If you've never had, if you've never, listen carefully, if you've never had an sex, impure sexual thought, anyone? Okay, we're all broken. Thank you for being honest. We're all broken. My hands are down. My hands are down. We're all broken people, even to the core of our sexuality. But the good news for us is this, that God sends his son, promised to, in Genesis 3, by the way, to bring healing, to bring salvation, to restore what was broken. And to give us everything that we could have ever hoped for. And so God desires to heal us at the deepest levels of our being, which includes our sexuality. So now let me just, boom, clear, be as clear as possible. In light of our convictions, this is a statement for for me, this is a statement from our pastors, okay, we're in lockstep agreement on this. Um, In light of these foundational words from Jesus and Genesis, we believe that God's design for marriage is to be a covenant commitment between a man and a woman for life. That's, that's how we're reading the scriptures. We want to hold that conviction with, with charity and love and humility, but that's what we see the Bible is saying, all right? Now, um, not only because we see it here, but we see it 
in the Old Testament law, the prohibitions, go read Leviticus. We see it in the Song of Psalms, talking, uh, Song of Songs, talking about uh, the covenant commitment between a man and a woman. We see it in the prophets of the Old Testament. Hosea, amazing, all right? Hosea uh, chapters one, two, and three, wow. Go love a prostitute. Don't forsake her. We don't know what to do with that because we don't know what to do with God's love. It's a picture of God's love. Not only did Jesus teach this, but his closest followers, they were known as apostles, who received his teaching and the ones that he told, go and teach everything that I taught you, they're affirming this continually throughout the New Testament. Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, other places, okay? So this is not just like a a, a one-off, okay? God only talked about marriage and sexuality and sex in one or two places. Um, This is the consistent thread throughout the Bible. Now, let me also say, let me also say um, that this isn't the main topic of the Bible. This isn't the front burner only issue in the Bible, okay? That's why you don't hear sermons on it all the time at Redemption Hill. This isn't a soapbox that we stand on and go around picketing saying, hey, this is our view on sexuality, okay? That is bogus, all right? That is absolutely asinine. I don't like that at all, okay? And we're never going to do that as a church, all right? We're just going to be Christians, and we're going to seek to be faithful to God, and we're going to have conversations, and we're going to love people. How about that? So now, now, now that we just now that we cleared the air, I don't know if we cleared the air. Maybe we muddied the air. Um, God help me. Um, so, so, so just now that that's on the table, that's what I'm trying to say. Now that that's on the table, um, I can I, I am sure. I am sure that that there are some people, or others who will hear this message saying, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you sure that's the position? Like, are you sure about that position?" And so, so that's the second question. The points are questions today. How about that? Wait, are you sure that that's, that's about that position? Okay, so before we dive deeper into this topic, we need to get some categories straight, okay? Um, when we think about this topic, we can't just put people into a neat little tidy box, all right? It doesn't work that way. Um, there are different designations that people wrestle with that we need to be sensitive to and we need to understand, all right? The, the first is this, SSA or same-sex attraction. This is an intentionally descriptive term that describes simply someone's sexual desire. In other words, they they have desires for relationship or intimacy with someone of the same sex. It doesn't even speak to whether or not they were personally pleased with their own desires. It's just saying that they are attracted to people of the same sex. When that those desires become the dominant attraction for that person, then it typically moves to another designation, which is known as SSO or same-sex orientation, okay? That that these desires that I wrestle with and that I have and perhaps even that I act out on and follow through with, um, they really are the dominant, um, you know, characterization of my sexual desire. SSA, SSO, and then we have, of course, a full-blown either gay, lesbian, or homosexual identity, which is people choosing to adopt their SSO as their defining identity in life at some level, right? So you'll even hear terms like uh, gay Christian. Like A is, you know, like that, uh, wow, big, big 
big can of worms there. Like, is that possible, right, Tanner? And then B, um, if it is, why would that be the, the adjective? Like, the purpose of an adjective is to, you know, um, modify the noun. And I'm just saying, why would we ever want to modify Christian? Like, I'm a, I'm a Christian husband. I'm a Christian dad. I'm a Christian pa- pastor. Thank you. Um, I'm a Christian, you know, uh, son, right? Like, that's what's most important about me. Thank you. So, just this is, why is this important? SSA, SSO, gay, lesbian, uh, homosexual identity. Why is this important? Because not everyone who wrestles with homosexual uh, feelings is even giving in to those temptations. So, so, so it, is, it is possible, listen, it is possible to live with, okay, this is the end of the sermon, I'm gonna go ahead and bring it up now. Okay, it is possible to live with same-sex attraction for one's entire life and be faithful to God and live a fruitful Christian life. And if that makes you scratch your head, just ask yourself the question I asked you about brokenness in here. How many heterosexuals, even committed in a monogamous marital relationship, still struggle with different forms of sexual temptation? One hundred percent. Don't make me get fired up in here today. All right, I'm telling you. Don't. All right, I love you. I love everybody. Jesus, I love you more than them. Thank you. Help me out. So, so we need to, if it's like, wait, wait just a second. Are you sure about that position? Then we need to think about some of the objections, right? And I'm going to give you seven of them, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time unless you want me to preach for an hour and a half, which maybe some of you do, but I can't do that. All right, I'm committed to, you know. Um, so number one, the Bible doesn't really say that homosexuality is a sin. This is, the, this is one of the first objections that you're going to hear. And I hope that point one helped take care of that, but just to accentuate the, the, what's going on in the Bible from Matthew 19 to Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, um, and especially Romans 1, which brings both of these factors together in 1 Corinthians 6, is that, and this is why it's so persuasive to me, is that the Bible brings the logic of both creation, okay, God's original design, pre-fall, okay, not a result of the fall, by the way, that's another argument that, you, that you'll hear, all right? It's creational logic and it's redemptive logic. So in other words, there are some things that are broken in us that need to be healed, that need, we need to be redeemed from, brought out from. And when Paul's talking about same-sex partners in 1 Corinthians 6 in very descriptive terms, let me just put it this way, both active and passive partners in a same-sex relationship, just to get down to the exegesis of it all, he is saying, and such were some of you. But, it is, but it's, not just, it's not just homosexuality, it's idolaters, it's revilers. It's people that don't like other people. I mean, Paul doesn't just pick this one area. He's picking like eight areas, and he's saying, hey, all of you need to be redeemed, changed, brought out of that lifestyle. And Romans 1 is even better in some respects because it's both creational and redemptive. I think is the just straightforward reading of Romans 
chapter one, it's the whole book of Romans. For God, we're not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation. And everyone who believes, if a Jew first and also the Greek, for any other, yeah, Romans. Romans is really good. All right. Number one, the Bible doesn't really say homosexuality is a sin. I would disagree with that for said reasons. Number two, the God I worship is a God of love. Have you ever heard this one? The God, the God I worship is a God of love. In other words, the God I worship, this is so close to um, the uh, you know, hermeneutical fallacy, uh, which is how we read the Bible, that would say um, the Old Testament God is different than the New Testament God. The New Testament God is a God of love. The Old Testament God is a God of wrath. Okay, but Jesus is talking about hell and judgment as well as heaven and love as much as the God of the Old Testament is saying, hey, come on out into the wilderness so I can speak tenderly to you, so that I can know you, so that I can be your God. Wow. I hope you didn't miss that in my excitement, right? Like, God has always been a God of love. He's always been a God of love. But he's also been a holy God. In other words, like, God has the authority to tell us what to do and what not to do. And like a good parent, he always asks us to do that which will promote our flourishing in life. Somewhat related to this argument is another, another uh, this, this one. This was very popular in 2015 when the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. You've heard it. You've hashtagged it, perhaps, or you've seen a hashtag. Love is love. Love is love. Now, listen, we, like, and perhaps you were, like, sympathetic to that sentiment. And, and at some level, don't get this twisted, right? At some level, I'm sympathetic to that. For, for, for example, I'm not saying, I'm not petitioning our, our, our local government saying like homosexuality should be illegal. I'm not doing that. But I am trying to define marriage in a way that I think is most healthy for human flourishing in society. And even that's not even really a conversation these days. It can be, but it's really not. And it's not even my intention to start it again today. My intention is to help us think like Jesus would, I hope. And so love is love does not stand. Why? Because if love is love, then what about polygamy? If love is love, what about polyamorous relationships? You know, what's that? It's a couple, even a married couple saying, you know what? We'll just do whatever we want to do with this couple or that couple or as many love, loves and lovers as we want. Is that all right? Incest, bestiality. Is that love is love? Hmm. Number four, if I have these desires, they can't be wrong. If it feels good, do it, doesn't work. Because sometimes that which feels good will kill you. We live in, we live in Massachusetts. There's a huge heroin epidemic, like, running through our families and our states, right? Again, we have to go back and and ask, what's our primary source of authority? Because there are going to be all kinds of things, all kinds of desires, all kinds of expression of our brokenness that we feel would make us feel good, but in the end, it, it, it it doesn't lead to life. 
Greed. We live in a materialistic culture. That's another sermon, but, but greed, uh, verbal abuse, drunkenness, lying, people pleasing, you name it. Uh, there are always going to be parts of the Bible in the words of uh, Rosaria Butterfield again, that, that she says we are going to want to shape and select those parts of the Bible that we feel are relevant to us. In other words, like I'll, I'll kind of pick and choose, like I, I don't feel this way about that one, so I'm gonna follow the Bible here, but I feel differently and I have different desires here, so I'm gonna do my own thing. Number five, uh, this one's really, uh, really tough, really, really need to be sensitive here, uh, but I was born that this way. I was born this way. And, you know, not to get into the science of everything, uh, you know, I would not be shocked one day. I mean, it's not like, technology is progressing, I would fully expect that at some point scientists are going to be able to, to, to pinpoint, and I may be off on this, so whatever, but, you know, is there some kind of gene that points to a, you know, same-sex attraction? I wouldn't be shocked. Why? Because we're fallen people. Our, our bodies are fallen. Our hearts are fallen. But, but again, we are all born broken people. So whatever expression of our brokenness, all of that brokenness is in need of healing and redemption. In every case, whether we're talking about lying or anger or any other number of sexual, sexually immoral desires, is, okay, listen to this, is does not imply ought. Follow me? I feel this way. I am this way. Well, maybe God has a better way for us, right? And he, like, whatever God invites us to, it is a path of freedom in life. This is the good news of the scriptures. And then, and then here's two more. Uh, we've progressed. We have progressed beyond these antiquated views. So, so this is, in other words, um, you know, uh, what, what C.S. Lewis has dubbed chronological snobbery, right? A really great phrase, um, which it says, newer is better, and we are probably wiser than our great-grandparents or your grandparent. Let's be real. Chronological snobbery. And this is also, we're not going to make this another point, okay? But, but this can also not just be chronological snobbery, but geographical snobbery. And here's what I mean. Um, if you've heard any news over the past couple of years, um, what you would have heard about is a schism in the Anglican church with European and American archbishops, predominantly the majority of them saying a homosexual lifestyle is perfectly acceptable by God. But... African and Asian bishops are saying, no, uh, no, 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 no. Like, we're reading the Bible differently. We're trying to live out our faith differently. And so we have to be careful here. Not just a, a snobbery of time, but a snobbery of geography. And then finally, Christians just pick and choose which sins to denounce. And listen, if that's the case, forgive us. And if that's the case, then we are not doing a very good job representing Jesus. So those are seven. I hope that's helpful to you in some way, shape, or form. Now, 
Now, here, here's the third question. What, what, how did Jesus think about sexuality? Wait, are you sure about that position? Now, here's the third question. I'll try to do my best to move uh, briskly through this question. Uh, how can we faithfully represent Jesus on this issue? on tough issues, on tough topics, really on any issue. I think this is, the, the encouragement here are relevant for any issue. And why is this so important? Well, David Kinnaman in his book, Unchristian, this is a Christian author who wrote a book called Unchristian. He says this about non-Christians, not just people who uh, would, would identify as homosexual, but just non-Christians in general, okay? They view Christians as bigoted, judgmental, sheltered, right-wingers, hypocritical, insincere, and uncaring. It's not okay. He goes on to say the gay issue has become the big one, the negative image most likely to be intertwined with Christianity's reputation. And you say, well, Tanner, that's not fair. I, I, I'm not a bigot. I'm not judgmental. I'm not uncaring. I do, like, and I'm saying me too. But in order to change the perception, perhaps we need to change our actions. And so how are we going to do that? Here, here are five just constructive encouragements, all right? Five constructive encouragements for us, for us as individuals and for us as a church family, Redemption Hill Church, to move forward in a, in, a, in a better way, in a better way, all right? So number one, uh, we will love and we will welcome all people. We will love and we will welcome, come on, Medford, come on, Greater Boston, all people. So what do I mean by this, okay? Anyone who identifies as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender is welcomed in this church. Come on in through the doors of the Chevalier. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm asking you to pray about it. Thank you. If that makes you uncomfortable, pray about it. I don't, I don't expect that it does. I have and will continue to invite many practicing homosexuals in our community to Redemption Hill. We have to be a safe place where people can find community, explore questions of faith, and explore these tough questions in life. We are not homophobic, all right? We are not. We hate all hate speech at Redemption Hill Church. And so what I'm saying is this. Bring your addicted friends. Bring your homeless friends. Bring your LGBT friends. Because they're all welcomed around here. And let me just say this, if you do not have friends that fit into those categories, then pray, God help me to be more like you because I can promise you this, if Jesus was walking around greater Boston, he would have friends in each one of those categories. We will welcome and love all people. Number two, we will hold convictions with humility, not judgmentalism. So let me define a term. When someone is judgmental, okay, it's not saying, hey, I disagree with you about that. It is saying, I disagree with you and I am so much more enlightened and I am so much more uh, moral than you that there is such a self-superiority about it. They are looking down on people, which by the way, this is the classic definition of a Pharisee. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. That's what I'm trying to do today. I'm really trying to do that. I try to do it every Sunday, but especially today. Truth and love. What Russ Moore calls convictional kindness. And so to love 
but not speak the truth is actually a failure to love. But to speak the truth in an unloving manner is to fail to truly represent the truth. We need humility to see this happen. Number three, this, is, this one's really important. We will resist all sexual sin, especially our own. Just a few days ago, a man named Hugh Hefner died. The founder of the world's probably most popular, most sold, I don't know if this is true, but they're up there, right? At least in America. Pornographic magazine. Now, now, why is it, just tell me this, why is it that in the church we can be guilty? I'm not saying we're guilty of this at Redemption Channel, but we could be. We can be guilty of winking at porn addiction, the inherent objectification of men and women, but then rail against homosexuality. Shame on us. Churches can be so guilty of dismissing unbiblical divorce and turning a blind eye to adulterous relationships. But then, you know, not, 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 not LGBT issues, right? You know, we got to speak up and not, what's wrong with us? Shame on us. We should pursue Christ-likeness in all areas of our lives. Whatever sexual temptation we face, we all fit, we've all agreed on that like three times. Let's make it four, all right? Like we all are broken people, okay? And so we all need God's healing. So let's pursue Christ-likeness, okay? And here, here's another one, okay, that I'm just gonna get up on this soapbox right here and preach it because I got the mic right now, okay? All right, here's what churches are bad about, okay? We elevate, and forgive, forgive me as a pastor if we get this at Redemption in any way. I don't think we do, but, but, but God forgive me. If we hold up the gift of marriage over the gift of singleness, What just happened? We just cut out the ground from under our feet when it comes to calling someone who struggles with SSA or SSO or a gay or homosexual identity to a life of celibacy? Man, forget about it. Forget about it. So, both are gifts. (laughs) Oh, wait. That guy, Jesus? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was single. Come on. Thank you. All right. We ain't going to be able to sing a song unless I get these last two out, all right? So, hey, uh, we will befriend. We will befriend. This one's really, this one's personal. We will befriend homosexuals and seek mutual understanding. Please consider this. If you're not there yet, please consider this. And if you're not there yet, my my assumption is not that you're opposed to that, but my assumption is maybe you're not seeking it out enough. Mm. God, forgive me. Have you ever laughed or cried with someone with whom you disagree? Have you ever learned from someone with a different way of seeing the world? 
have your experiences with a people of different race, religion, or moral stance, morality, ever increased your love and compassion? And perhaps maybe, just maybe, you have done the same for them? Um, one, of the, one of the most um, amazing moments for me in the past couple of years was, uh, was having a coffee conversation with a friend. who trusted me enough based on our friendship to disclose what they experienced in terms of their sexuality. Wow. Thank you, God. Number five. We got we to end here. This is good. Uh, we will expect God to continue his good work of transformation in us all, in us all. Some will be moved from unbelief in God and these words of Jesus to belief in God and belief and acceptance of these words of Jesus. Some people, like, we don't believe it's beyond the power of God if this is really the way of God to bring healing in such a radical way that someone who once experienced a desire for pornography, thank you, or same-sex attraction to be totally healed and no longer desire those things. But we also, we also expect that God may call some people who experience SSA, SSO, gay, lesbian, and homosexual identity, okay, we, we may expect that, that God will, will, will take some of those and he will bring them into this new life in Christ, but that some of them will still wrestle with SSA and SSO. Okay, here's a book that I hope you'll buy today. They're 20 copies, 20 to 25 copies, $5, cheapest you'll find anywhere. Thank you, Pastor John, for that tip last week, all right? His name is Sam Alberry, and he is a, uh, I believe, an Anglican priest who, yes, Anglican priest in, in England, thank you, um, who still would say, I am SSO, SSA, living a fruitful Christian life. Thank you very much. The same is true for a young lady named Rachel Gilson. Uh, she is uh, on staff with crew here in Greater Boston. She also happens to be a member, a member, thank you, of uh, Hope Fellowship Church, our sister church in Cambridge. And she just released an article this past week. It's in this month, October's Christianity Today. And the, and the title is, I Never Became Straight. Perhaps that was never God's goal. Whoa. Please go read the article. It is really, really, really good. And so maybe you're here today and you would identify in, in one of these kind of three areas. And so my humble, my loving, my courageous ask to you today is to consider that, that perhaps Jesus, like he calls each one of us, not just one time, but day by day, is calling every single one of us into a different path 
that is a path of love, of agape love, of God's kind of love. And that love, listen, that love, it casts out every fear. And that love is so full of his truth that it will set us free. And so wherever you need freedom today, Jesus is inviting you into that kind of path, his kind of love. And so I'm gonna ask Dan and the team to come out. And I just wanna leave you with, with, this, with this statement from Rosaria Butterfield who said, who said this. My new affection was not heterosexuality, but Jesus. My new affection was not heterosexuality. She's married, by the way. She's married to a man now. But she said, my new, when she was brought into this new life that I just described, my new affection was not heterosexuality, but Jesus. I was converted not out of homosexuality, but out of unbelief. And so Paul says, after the litany of different lifestyles that are not according to God's design, he says in 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray together. Father, we are absolutely humbled because we are all broken people and we all need your grace. And so, Father, would you, God, would you continue your good work in us? God, help us to think better about this sensitive subject. And God, help us to love in new ways, in radical ways, God, that would truly represent if Jesus was walking the streets of our of the streets of our city, God, that, that we would move as he would move. So, Lord, that's our prayer. How could we pray better than that? God, send your Holy Spirit to fill us, fill us with the spirit of Jesus, that we would overflow with love and compassion and kindness and patience and understanding to love as you love. Amen.